Well, this morning, uh, we're going to talk about uh, resurrection blessings. Okay? Call it resurrection blessings. And there are many blessings, uh, let alone doctrines, that we can both study and rejoice in when we see in Scripture the Ordo Salutis, which I think we have back here somewhere on our, you know, on our, our, board, our wall, the uh, order of our salvation as is set forth in texts like Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 30, and, and other passages as well. Uh, our election in Christ before the world began, uh, the virgin birth, his sinless life, a life that was lived for us that his perfect righteousness might be accounted to us and to all whom the Father has given him. There's our effectual calling uh, by the irresistible power of the Holy Spirit, our justification by faith in Christ, our, and our promised future glorification, all those subjects. Multitudes of sermons, as you can well imagine, have been preached and will be preached on these various subjects um, for our edification and comfort, as well as for our assurance of salvation, as well as reaching people with the gospel continually. And when you think about it, um, shouldn't we, those of us who have come to Christ, um, especially for many years we've been in the faith, <clears throat> shouldn't we be familiar with these truths? Shouldn't they be upon our hearts and minds? And of course, we'd say yes, if we're honest, if believers, but also if we're honest, <clears throat> we will admit that our minds are often filled with many thoughts and desires and concerns uh, and plans that cause us to kind of set aside or forget sometimes who we are, to whom we owe all that we have, and how we should be focused on God and his will for us. Easy to get caught up in all the things of life and kind of forget about things. I'm sure <clears throat> uh, when you got up for breakfast this morning and were speaking to your spouse over a cup of coffee or juice, whatever you have, first thing on our mind wasn't uh, Doug saying to June, hey, June, I'm thinking about the resurrection today. You know, it's not something we talk about. You know, we just kind of, it's, it's there, we know it, but it's not a conversation piece normally unless you've had a message on it or you read something and spoke about it. But, but these are things that should be on our mind as God's people. We shouldn't kind of put them in the back burner and forget about them until someone preaches on them. We should frequently bring up these truths of God's word to comfort ourselves, to encourage ourselves, to give us hope when we're faced with a trial or difficulty. We should be easily dwelling upon these things. They should be focused in our mind because they are what God has given us to comfort us and to help us as we deal with the trials and tragedies and difficulties and distractions of life. God has blessed us with his written word that we might not be ignorant of the particulars of our faith, and he has blessed us with anointed men of God, both past and present, uh, that have taught us and taught the church these things. So When we think about it, there's multitudes of people around the world who don't have the privilege of hearing God's word as we do on a regular basis. They don't have reminders of all these various doctrines and truths that focus us in on our relationship with Christ. People who maybe long to hear more of the word, uh, they draw comfort from the promises of God, but who are faced with persecution even unto death in places like Ukraine, uh, in North Africa, uh, in North Korea, China, other places. They don't have the freedom and privilege we have of going over these things and hearing frequently of justification of all these different truths that we hold dear and that we frequently talk about and, and read even. But <clears throat> this is something we need to be aware of and, and be thankful for the privileges we have of repetition, of reminders, of principles and promises in God's word. And we should find joy in hearing them again and again, which leads us to our subject and our lesson today, resurrection blessings. 
it's undeniable that without Christ's resurrection from the dead, none of the promises of the gospel would really make any sense, let alone be effectual uh, for, to us to be reconciled to God. In Paul's powerful letter on the subject, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 through 19, he makes this statement. He said, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you are yet in your sins, then those also who are fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have a hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Of all men most miserable. Now, we normally have messages about the resurrection of Christ around what we call Easter Sunday, truly Resurrection Sunday. Um, But the subject of the resurrection is part of the foundation of our faith, as Paul just pointed out there in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. And it's more than just a a once-a-year thing to talk about. It's something we should be frequently talking about and comforting ourselves and encouraging ourselves in. And it's something we should be willing to hear taught or preached on at any time. Uh, We believe in the regulation principle, regulative principle, which is, there is no particular time where you have to deal with a particular subject, be it Christ's virgin birth, be it his death on the cross, be it the resurrection. Any time throughout the year, we should desire to hear portions of God's word expounded to us, encouraging us, helping us to focus on that. So today we're going to look at, even though it's here in the middle of, of the fall, we're going to look at uh, the significance of Christ's resurrection, our spiritual resurrection, and our final physical resurrection, and what they should all mean to us as believers. So first of all, let's look at Christ's necessary, we'll call it Christ's necessary resurrection. Spurgeon made this profound statement regarding the resurrection of Christ. He said, the whole system, the whole system of Christianity rests upon the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead. Then he quotes from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, For if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is vain. Christ's resurrection was a proof of his complete victory over death. As William Perkins, a Puritan theologian, said, He is the author, referring to Christ, He is the author of life itself. For this reason, it was neither fitting nor possible for him to be overcome by death. Thus, it was imperative that Christ rise from the dead to life. And when you think about it, indeed, the divinity of Christ is proven by his resurrection. Uh, since Paul says in, uh, first, in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, Paul makes this point. He says, he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Let me read that again. It should be a familiar verse, but think clearly what he's saying here. He was declared... By his resurrection, he was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Now, obviously, if he had not been risen, it would lead to very profound doubt of him being God at all. But he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. It it demonstrated to everyone who was willing to think clearly that he was the Son of God, and therefore his work was effectual. And... Frankly, his resurrection was expected because it had been prophesied. In fact, just last week, we looked at Roman, uh, Psalm chapter 16, verses 9 through 11, where he said it talked about not being in the grave. He couldn't stay in the grave. We studied that last week. Spurgeon also noted that our justification, that choice blessing of the covenant, is linked with Christ's triumphant victory over death and the grave. For, he quotes from Romans 4.25, He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So 
even in his being raised from the dead, right there was a proof that our justification was secure. It was a sure thing. Okay? That's an important text. So Christ being resurrected was a demonstration of the power of God and an assurance that his plan of redemption will be fulfilled. His resurrection also validated his high priestly role of making satisfaction for our sins and thus establishing him to apply the results of that sacrifice to every believer that would come along the way. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says this, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? Again, that's Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. A demonstration of God's power is that he raised Christ from the dead. And, of course, in doing so, he proved that Christ's work was sufficient. It was acceptable. It was what we needed for our salvation. As Paul states in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 8, Christ's resurrection was a fulfillment or proof of Paul's gospel, that it was a genuine gospel. He says this, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. The hope of our faith is in a risen Christ who was foreordained before the world began to save us from our sins. In fact, as I go through these verses, you're going to hear that word raised, raised, resurrection. I would recommend to you, if you have a good concordance or strongs, um, to look up the word raised and resurrection and see how many times it appears in the New Testament referring to Christ. It would give you a great encouragement to see how thorough it is woven throughout Scripture and reminds us of the work of Christ and what he did and that he had to be raised from the dead in order for us to be saved. The hope of our faith is in a risen Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. If God gives us proof of his plan of redemption, and in this proof, he blesses us by showing us that he had completed, the work was thoroughly completed because Christ was raised from the dead and sat at his right hand in glory, proving that he was truly the Messiah, the one who paid for our sins and made us acceptable in God's sight, who, we who have faith in him. So our faith and our hope are in God because he demonstrated his plan of redemption was secured, it was completed, it was acceptable. In fact, a little earlier in that same chapter of 1 Peter chapter 1, in, uh, in verse 3, the apostle says this, that we are, not only have a strong hope in the promise of God in Christ, but a lively hope in him, a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We don't have a sort of possible vague kind of hope. No, we have a lively, we have a living hope because Christ has been raised from the dead. He is at the right hand of the Father. It's a living hope. He's a living Savior. That should be important to us. Uh, when we think about all that's happening in the world today, uh, there's so much around us that can discourage us, yet we can see in God's plan of redemption, it has been completed, it has been fulfilled. He has raised up Christ from the dead, and even now he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Let me uh, 
close this particular section with a poem that Spurgeon used to conclude his brief devotion on this subject. He used these words of this poem. The promise is fulfilled. Redemption's work is done. Justice with mercies reconciled for God has raised his son. Just four verses. Let me read it again. The promise is fulfilled. Redemption's work is done. Justice with mercies reconciled for God has raised his son. Praise God for his mercy that he has done that. Let's move on now to our spiritual resurrection. Okay, we have the assurance of our resurrection really is based upon Christ's resurrection. So let's look on to our spiritual resurrection. Jesus made this powerful statement to Martha, a very familiar statement, I'm sure, to all of us. John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Calvin made this comment on that text. He says, why then is Christ the resurrection? Because by his spirit, he regenerates the children of Adam who had been alienated from God by sin so that they begin to live a new life. That's why he was raised, that we might have not only the security of our salvation because the plan had been completed, but he was raised up so that we might begin to live a new life in him. His thoughts are echoed, in fact, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, when it says this, And you he made alive, or in the King James, quicken, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. We were all born alive physically, right? We all came alive physically, but at the same time, because of Adam's fall, Uh, as he represented the human race, we were all born spiritually dead. That's sometimes hard for us to comprehend because we think of ourselves as being alive. We think of us, and of course, philosophies are those that you make up your own mind whether you're, you're alive or not as far as spiritually. But that's a principle we need to grasp, I think, more thoroughly, that we weren't born with the attitude or the desire to become a believer in God. We had no concept of God, and because of our fallen nature, we had no desire to love God or be obedient to him. But God in his mercy, obviously, because of the security of Christ's resurrection, gave us that hope of our eventual resurrection. But the picture here of our spiritual resurrection is that we were dead. We, were, we couldn't possibly do anything to help ourselves. But God provided a means of redemption. And despite the vain imaginations of false teachers, not only do dead men tell no tales, but dead men have no capability of rising from the dead. Okay? There's no capability at all, let alone resurrecting themselves. Only God, in his mercy and grace, can bring life to the spiritually dead. That's a principle we need to understand when we're talking to people, when we're trying to share the gospel with people, when we're even bringing people to worship with us and hear the word of God. We cannot, by any trick or imagination or talent or ability we have, we cannot make them alive. We cannot make them spiritually alive to listen to the message. Only God can do that. That's why our prayer should be for God to work, for God to move, for God to pour out his spirit, to awaken people, to hear the truth and respond to it in faith. It's in his hands. We are instruments in his hands, but it's in his hands the final result. So we need to kind of comfort ourselves in that truth and encourage ourselves in that truth that it's really all of him. We are simply his instrument to be used to reach those people, and he will raise them up. Only God can raise the spiritually dead. In fact, our regeneration is connected with Christ's resurrection from the dead. For as I just quoted from 1 Peter 1, verse 3, we are born again to a lively or living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
from the dead through his resurrection. We have that living hope. When we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are awakened or spiritually resurrected in obedience to God's word, and we begin to follow him in obedience, uh, following his holy ordinances of baptism, the Lord's Supper, Paul tells us, in fact, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 and verse 13, that we are buried with him in baptism, in which we are also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. See, the picture is always being brought out there. God raised him from the dead. And as we see ourselves in God's eyes, we need to be raised from the dead spiritually in order to be awakened. Baptism is a picture of that. It's a picture of us dying to the sin that entrapped us and rising again in Christ to new life in him. You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. This truth, our new spiritual life, our resuscitation from spiritual death, is directly connected to Christ's resurrection, as is argued in a negative way by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 16. He said, if the dead do not rise, then Christ has not risen. Of course, if Christ has not risen, we have no hope. He then goes on in that classic passage, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which I would recommend, by the way, if you want to get a good encouragement or at least a thorough refreshment in your mind about the importance of the resurrection and its significance in our life, is read 1 Corinthians 15. Just read it. You know, do a little devotional on it, study it, meditate on it, chew on it a little bit. That passage and another one we'll be looking at is a classic passage to use when you want to kind of be refreshed on the importance of the resurrection and how significant it is and how God is in control of that as well. But it's a, a wonderful passage. Um, let me read this passage that Paul mentions here in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. Now Christ is risen from the dead. There's a profound statement of truth there. Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man, the God-man, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, some might argue that Paul is speaking of our final resurrection from the grave there, but I believe it also can be applied to our spiritual resurrection from our spiritual deadness or darkness due to our sinful fallen nature. We'll never rise from the grave to obtain a heavenly body and eternal life if we haven't been quickened spiritually and made alive in Christ. The first has to happen. He has to make us alive. He has to quicken us and bring us up out of the deadness of our sins and give us spiritual life before we'll ever have the hope of rising from the dead eventually and having eternal life with him uh, in a physical sense, as we know will happen eventually. So if then we are raised from spiritual death to spiritual life in Christ, how then shall we live? He sounds like a good book title, doesn't it? Anybody recognize that? How then shall we live? Some guy wrote that. Anyway, never mind. Um, turn to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. This is one portion of scripture that we're going to read this morning. Again, I would recommend reading through First uh, Corinthians 15, but let's read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. It's a lengthy passage, but I think it bears reading in this study, okay? First, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. And you'll see why as we read it. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized unto his death? Therefore, 
We were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so should we also walk in newness of life. For if we have been reunited together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be, shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he has died, I'm sorry, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, there it is again, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right away, as we see Paul's making Paul's point here, he's saying to believers in Christ who have died to the power of sin in their lives, no longer live as they did before their spiritual resurrection. Okay? We should no longer be living as we were before, but we should what? Walk in the newness of life. We're no longer slaves of sin, but bondservants of Jesus Christ, bought with his blood. We are alive to God, the text says. We're alive to God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We live in him spiritually, and it manifests itself, or should, in our outward physical life. Look at verse 21 or 22 in the same chapter, just down a little ways. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit unto holiness and to the end, everlasting life. We have our fruit unto holiness. That's what this resurrected life brings about. We begin to live a life of holiness. Not perfect, of course, but it means sins are former sins like lying, stealing, cheating, lusting, Hating, pride, blaspheming of God are no longer a part of the pattern of our life, but rather we should pursue truth, giving, honesty, purity, love, humility, and a reverence for and a holy worship of God. We live for him and no longer for ourselves. Do we do this perfectly every day? Obviously not. Our sanctification is a process, isn't it? It's a process that goes throughout our whole life. However, our daily goal should be to, as the text says here, walk in the Spirit. I'm sorry, another text in Galatians 5.16. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's our lifestyle as a Christian now. We're to walk in the Spirit. We're to walk in the newness of life, and we shall not give in to the desires of the flesh. When we fail, if we're truly Christ, then we should repent and persevere in faith, knowing that one day, Quote, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, 1 John 3, 2. Paul states it clearly in Philippians 3, verse 12, not that I have already attained, and this is the point, where sanctification is a process, we're growing more in Christ, we're putting aside the deeds of the flesh, we're living in a, in a, in a way that's honoring to him in the newness of life. And Paul says, not that I have already attained or am perfected, but I press on, and that's the key I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. We're no longer, no longer spiritually dead, men and women. For we're alive spiritually and enabled by the Spirit of God dwelling in us to walk in holiness and truth and newness of life. Christ resurrected us from our dead spiritual state by the power of the Spirit, quote, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering 
being made conformable to his death, Philippians 3 and verse 10. So praise God who in his mercy raised us from spiritual death to spiritual life in Christ and gave us the hope of our eventual physical resurrection when we die. That's our hope, isn't it? It goes beyond what we have now to the hope of resurrecting from the dead. And that's our final point today as we look at this three-tiered study of the blessings of resurrection. First, Christ's resurrection, what it means to us, then our spiritual resurrection, and now our final resurrection. So we rejoice both in Christ's resurrection, which secured our salvation and our own spiritual resurrection via the Holy Spirit, that apply the work of Christ to our souls, which leads us to our blessed hope and our final resurrection. Paul alludes to this in, uh, I think it's 1 Thessalonians 1.10, when he says that we wait, and that should be waiting patience, for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. There it is again, that, that phrase, whom he raised from the dead, is, is used so often. Again, why? To remind us, because it's a subject we could probably forget easily. We don't think about it as much as we do about other things. But we should be reminded of that constantly, that Christ was raised from the dead because, as Spurgeon said, everything hangs upon that in our salvation. Paul goes on to say, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Our spiritual future is clear, not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we deserve, but because of all God has done for us in Christ. And so the, the future of our physical bodies although they will be dramatically changed, as we know from Scripture, that is secure. If we, if we have been raised from the spiritual death to life in Christ, then we know our bodies will eventually be resurrected as well. If we had not been spiritually resurrected, we would face with certainty the wrath to come instead of being delivered from it by Christ. As for timing, we know not, nor do we need to know when our final resurrection will take place. It's not something we need to worry about or be thankful about, but it's something we can be secured in, but it's guaranteed by a sovereign God who cannot lie. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, that it will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. There's no hesitation in that statement. There's no ifs, no maybe, or hopefully, or mostly, no, it's the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That should be a real comfort to us, an encouragement to us, that there's not any flexibility in God's plan of salvation. There's no way it can be changed, altered, anything done to it, but what has already been stated in the Word, we can draw strength from that. We can look forward to that uh, as, a, as a hope that encourages us, what a blessed hope and comfort it should be when we see the moral fiber of our nation shredding and wonder what our future on earth will be. One day, these weakened, aging bodies shall be changed to a glorious heavenly body that will enable us to worship our God throughout eternity. That should be an encouragement to us and a comfort to us. Francis and I were talking at the picnic yesterday. I think um, we don't you know, like to think about maybe the fact that we're going to die or that our bodies are going to end up in the grave. But neither did the 4,000 people in Libya think about it when that flood hit them and it killed them instantly. Neither did the 2,000 people in Morocco think about the end of their life when an earthquake brought them all into the grave. Neither did the 1,000 or more people in Maui, of all places, Maui, beautiful island in, in the Pacific, part of Hawaii, wonderful place to live, 1,000 of them gone in a day, in hours. 
by a blazing inferno. We probably know of, of loved ones, friends, others who have passed away. We think even you know, here recently of others that we know of as a family. Those people all probably didn't think about the fact that they're facing the God in eternity. And if they knew not Christ, they had no hope of that resurrected life that will one day see them in eternity. All these things happen so quickly. Do we think we deserve more? We deserve better? Could not God drop a, drop a plane on our church and kill us all in an instant? He could, but he hasn't. So we can praise God for his mercy that he has preserved us all and protected us all from those disasters I just mentioned. He's in control of those things. But we need to understand that the reality of our death is coming and the resurrection is something we will only participate in, the true resurrection, the holy resurrection of our bodies, will only happen if we are in Christ, if we are secure in him. And it's a promise that God has made that we can depend upon, we can draw hope from, we can draw comfort from, especially, uh, for instance, if in Branstu's case or mine or others, or even you, if you're at a funeral trying to comfort loved ones, if you know that that loved one that has passed away was in Christ, you can comfort them knowing that that person's going to be in glory that one day their body will be resurrected, healed completely, made perfect, and will one day be with God forever. So those are the kind of things you need to be aware of, and you can use this subject, the resurrection, to point people to a comfort and encouragement that would help them to deal with the crises that they're faced in their life. It's an event that all saints should long for with confidence, confidence in the promise of God. Paul points this out for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 14, when he says, knowing, and there's a key, not guessing, but knowing that he, here we go, which raised the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus. There's that phrase again. He raised the Lord Jesus, therefore we have confidence that we shall be raised up also and shall present us with you, Paul says. If we die before Christ's return, we know that our bodies will be buried for a season and suffer decay. But Paul explains and gives hope to the Corinthians and to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 43 and 44 with these words. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, excuse me, it is raised with power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body, unquote. William Perkins also made this observation regarding Christ and his church. He is the head of his church. Therefore, all his members must follow after Christ in their time. The godly rise by the power of Christ the Redeemer who raised them up so that they might be partakers of the benefits of his death, Hebrews 3.14, to enjoy both in body and soul the kingdom of heaven that he who so dearly bought for them the godly rise as Christ by the virtue of Christ's own resurrection. They rise as he did unto eternal glory. And there it is again, constantly looking back on. The resurrection of Christ gives us comfort and hope knowing that we too shall be raised. We need not fear death if we are in Christ, beloved. Our eternal hope is anchored in him who was raised from the dead for our justification and our eventual glorification. So, <clears throat> As we look back over these various blessings of the resurrection of Christ, as well as our own, we find peace. We find comfort for our souls. We find encouragement to face whatever comes ahead, be it death, uh, be it trials of, of others, of our loved ones passing before us. We can find comfort. In fact, Spurgeon summed it up this way. He said, in this way, 
the silver thread of resurrection runs through all the believer's blessings from his re regeneration onward to his eternal glory and ties them all together. How important for believers is this glorious fact? Glorious fact. And how they rejoice that beyond a doubt it is established that in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. Everybody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's a great hope, a great comfort, a great joy for us. And that's something I want to leave with you today. Again, a subject that should be frequently thought about, not just on Resurrection Sunday, but frequently thought about throughout the year when we're faced with death, uh, trials, discouragements, wondering, am I going to make it? You know, is this going to happen? Maybe especially as our bodies uh, suffer illness of some sort, thinking, oh, you know, I don't want to go through this. Well, you know that ultimately that body will be perfected just as Christ was perfected and left and, and lifted up to glory in a perfectly raised body. So shall we have that blessing one day and that shall lead us into an eternal hope, an eternal joy that that perfect body will never wear out, but it will be constantly praising, glorifying the God who saved us and resurrected us. A little early, but that's all I got, gang. So let's close in prayer. <laughs>